The 70s, a time of great social upheaval. Vietnam, Watergate, the Equal Rights Movement. All these events were challenging what had been considered to be traditional values. People were becoming dissatisfied with their lives and beginning to search for meaning in many unconventional places. Enter Terry Hoffman. In 1974, she founded the group known as Conscious Development of Body, Mind, and Soul Incorporated. During her leadership of this group, Terry claimed to possess a number of supernatural abilities. She told her followers that she could astral project, observe past, present, and future, and even communicate with the dead. And with these powers, she believed it was her duty, alongside her followers, to wage a metaphysical war against the dark entities known as the Black Lords. Under Terry's leadership of the group, ten people were lost to death and disappearance. Were these people casualties of reality-bending battles? Why did a majority of them leave all their earthly belongings to Terry Hoffman? How many 14-year-olds leave a will bequeathing their prized rock collections and trust funds to strangers? This case file, the theorists slip on their robes of plus 15% damage in Terry Hoffman and the Black Lords. To Alien Theorist Theorizing Case File 97, Charles Southern and the Black Lords. <laughs> New band name, I call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shotty, got it. The Chucky Souths and the Black Lords. <laughs> uh, pretty, this is going to be an interesting, but I was uh, a little two week hiatus for myself. I was in Florida. Yeah, you forgot the intro. Boom, there you go. Oh, yeah, I'm Braden. Damn it. I'm Zell. You fucked. I'm Dan. Jesus. Guy goes away for two weeks and forgets everything. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that's... uh... No, I had two weeks. uh, I did Disney World. Man. Fucking absolute zoo. Good time. It was fun. It was fun. A lot of miserable kids. I love seeing the decline, like the kids in the morning, like a little sleepy, but super excited <laughs> and around like one o'clock in the afternoon, fucking the most miserable place on earth, man. <laughs> just kids all sugar crashing, screaming, yelling everywhere, having, just having meltdowns. I was like, I was having a beer. Oh, they just crashed, man. They're fucking screaming and yelling. I was having a beer. I bought a beer. I'm standing on the side. And this guy pushing a stroller, like one of those double strollers with two kids and like one's just balling. He like stops right beside me. He goes, oh, how's that beer? And I'm like, it's delicious. He goes, yeah, I, I, bet. I bet. And then he just <laughs> sulks and he pushes the he pushes the stroller away. <laughs> just defeated. Uh, I was pretty cool. The They did a really good job in the Avatar, the Avatar world. Pandora. It's really, uh, it was cool. It was good. I've never been so... Got to do a bunch of stuff I never uh, wouldn't likely get to do. I probably won't do it again. 
Yeah, no, it was I, fun. I, I Good never, trip. I went to Disneyland when I was a little kid, but I hear it's like one tenth the size or something. Uh, yeah, you know what? I was a little upset with the Canada Pavilion in uh, Epcot. It's very uh, stereotypical Canada. With like lumberjacks and maple syrup? Dude, everything. And you know what? You know what else? Everyone was in there asking for... Like I was walking through the pavilion looking at the like the fucking moose pajamas and the lumberjack <laughs> pajamas and like all this fucking weird shit. And the, while I was in there, so many people were coming in looking for the the, the Canadian mints. The Canadian... Oh, you got... Is there... Where can I buy the Canadian mints? And I'm like... Canadian I'm mints? Like, yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, what the... Like a lot of people. I'm talking like... I was in there for maybe 10 minutes and 15 people came in looking for these mints. So I'm like, I kind of go to the girl. I'm like, I'm from Canada and I don't know what these mints are. Like, what are these mints that everyone <laughs> comes? And she's like, she's like, oh, you know, they're like a little circle. They're like a little circle mint and they're red and white. And I'm like, those aren't Canadian. Those are like you get, those are cheap ones at the Chinese smorgasbords. <laughs> like, I was like, those are not Canadian at all. She goes, well, we sell them here and they go like hotcakes. I was like, that's, Motherfucker, I was like, eh? those are so cheap. And then everything's maple. Everything's like, they got maple, everything. I was like, no. and they're craft beer from Canada, all from Quebec. And it's all shite. I was so disappointed. Quebec. It was good. It was a good trip. Good shit. Yeah, it was good. Good trip. Good trip. Uh, I threw some, I hid some business cards in and around some secret, uh, secret placements. Let me tell you something. Did you put them on space mountain? No, there's, there's some girls, uh, going to buy some frozen toys and they're going to be surprised by the business card stash. (laughs) 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 No. So let's, uh, let's get back into some space news. got here you're working um, with oh i sometimes i just pull up stuff because i really like the headline and i'm not too interested in reading anything else about it so this is one of those ones i found this on uh global news herpes in space how how research on astronauts ailments can help people back on earth and i'm like who the <laughs> fuck has herpes in space i read that too well, i mean i actually read that article <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I read about that kind of stuff. Yeah, I re- um, apparently, like when uh, when you're in z- in zero G environments and stuff like that, like some uh, viruses and things that are dormant, like the herpes, like uh, types of herpes viruses, which a lot of people actually have. You know, like y- you get cold sores. That's a type of herpes virus. And if uh, in zero G, apparently, um, like a lot of the times, it it increases the amount that the virus is expressed. So you're not able to study viruses as in depth uh, as when they're dormant in your system, but astronauts um, what they're, you know, their cold sores are like coming out, I guess. I don't know. That's how it works or whatever, but that, that herpes virus is active. So it provides uh, more opportunities to actually study it and how it interacts in the body. Oh, weird. Riveting stuff. Go to space, come back with a fucking bunch of mouth sores. Yeah. Yeah. yeah pretty much. <laughs> so remember Oumuamua yeah scientists plan to intercept the next one with a robotic probe so they're Ooh. they're anticipating more objects like Oumuamua are going to show up and they didn't they didn't really get it all they got to do was just look at Oumuamua through telescopes and stuff but now what they want to do is put like a stage of rocket in orbit 
with like a robotic probe attached to it. And as soon as it appears, have it all ready to go to shoot it out and try and intercept the rocket and like land on it. To see what oh, it, that's awesome. So they're going to have like a preemptive just fucking rocket sitting in space is waiting for one of these things to come through. So I don't know. But how long is it going to sit and wait? <laughs> I don't know. How long is it till the next Oumuamua? They don't, they don't think that one's coming back unless it was an actual alien spacecraft and it turns around. But we'll see. Um. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, but when you do that, what are you gonna are you gonna land on it and then what? Take a sample and jump off? Or? Yeah, like the like the Japanese one did on um Landed on, on that comet. comet Ryugu or whatever. Yeah, you just you know hit it and hit it and quit it. I I just don't. Yeah, I guess just track it. It'd be kind of cool. You're like, haha, we're on that. We're getting launched through space. Got there. Free gas. <laughs> Uh, I guess that I guess that's the the best way for it. Um, just a just a note on the last one with the herpes thing. Uh, someone was saying that they say herpes is for life, but the thing about herpes is, once everyone has herpes, no one has herpes. <laughs> okay, is is one of you guys watching like music or something? I was just gonna ask the same thing. Who is who is that? I don't know. It's like it's coming to my it's. I'm not listening to anything. So there's something yeah, going to the. It was super weird. It's who's doing that to us? It was just, yeah. I, oh, I, I bet you it's Andrew because he's logged in here. He's listening, and he does, he has mic privileges. That little fuck. Ah! Oh, <laughs> dummy! He's on his phone. Ah, oh, that's what it was. For he's sure, he's on his phone. Andrew fucking comes in, fucks it up. <laughs> yeah, brutal. He's probably driving, listening, because he couldn't make it. Okay, so I got uh, NASA's curios- Curioso. Curiosity. Photography. <laughs> NASA's Curiosity <laughs> rover spots a bed of Earth-like pebbles. What makes them Earth-like? Um, I that I was a good question. I was like, they look like pebbles, but I'm like, I don't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that pebbles are you know like a an Earth thing. I'm gonna say a lot of places probably have pebbles. Seems like just yeah, former little rocks. So I was like, I was interested. I was like, well, that's kind of a. a there must be a like one. some significance to that, though. Well, uh, from the photo, from looking at the photos, I'm not looking at the actual article, but I saw the photos, and um, I mean, they look like pebbles that you would find at the bottom of a stream or something like that. So I think that's because there are also a couple articles I saw popping up about um, a lot of scientists are saying that rivers existed for like millions of years on Mars now, and they're pretty sure of it, and that's. Uh, that's probably what the article is talking about is that they're earth-like because they look like pebbles that were at the bottom of the stream. So that also kind of adds weight behind the theory that there were, there was water on Mars at one point. There was Martians on Mars. They had a nuclear war, stripped their own atmosphere, busted off on a rocket to earth. And that's where we started. Yes. hundred percent. Right. <laughs> These <laughs> rocks are definite evidence of that. That put weight behind that theory i really put that theory together quick and that's what i'm going with forever <laughs> i got um scientists representing nasa's jet propulsion laboratory proposed a spacecraft and mission on tuesday at the lunar and planetary science conference in texas that would explore triton neptune's largest moon Dope. oh i forgot it had some really cool name too the mission trident it's called like trident yeah yeah i said that no, the, the moon is called Triton. Triton. But the, the project is called Trident. Operation oh. Trident. Oh, Trident. Oh, that's a good operation. Oh, yeah. The Trident proposal. Yeah. 
Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. I like that a lot. Uh, the, uh, explore all the plots. So they, I want to... Oh, Andrew, you're fucking killing me here. That's it. Mute. You can yeah. mute him. Mute him. I, mute this little fuck. do right now. Got it. He's done. Where was he? Where was he? But how was he? I don't understand how I was hearing him. Oh, because he... Okay, I see. I get it. Perfect. All right. Um, he left. <laughs> well, he sounded like he was eating chips. Yeah, he's eating some junior mints. Um, I've closed that word. Okay, so um, we talked about this a lot. We're in um, this, a solar minimum, and the solar minimum conditions are in effect. Um, the sun has been without a spot for five consecutive days and 58 days so far in 2019. Um, many people think a solar minimum is boring. Not so. Uh, <laughs> this phase of the solar cycle brings extra cosmic rays, long lasting holes in the sun's atmosphere and strangely pink auroras. So, uh, auroras. if you're, if you're anywhere where you can see auroras, you might be seeing some nice pink ones coming soon. Extra cosmic rays. So if you're looking to get some superpowers this weekend, you know, this week. <laughs> Let's look for some quick cosmic powers here, superpowers. Now, uh, that's all I got for space news. Yeah, me too. Space is um, still cool. Space, very cool. Still cool. <laughs> As always. Um, I want to touch on this. I was getting shit for the photography thing. <laughs> so uh, I laughed so I, hard I when I listened a, back to I was going to tell a quick story. Gonna, no, I'll tell it now. Um, so when I was like in grade five, my parents took me to like a Sylvan learning center and they got me tested because I wasn't doing well in school. Not because I'm dumb because I just would never do homework, but they were a little concerned. So they took me to this and I remember going there and I did all the tasks and I was like, I was there for a couple hours and like I had to read books and like answer questions. And uh, when I was in grade five, they said that I was reading at a grade 11 level and uh, never progressed past then. Well, I contacted my mom and she was, I was like, Hey, do you have the records of that? Cause I want to, uh, I want to show these papers, uh, to all the podcast people so they can get off my back. I can read. And then she's like, I think so. She's like, do you want me to call them and see if they keep those kind of records? I was like, yes, please. And she's like, what if it says you're bad at a bunch of other stuff? I was like, we'll redact it. <laughs> it'll, all, it'll all be redacted. <laughs> So stay tuned. I'm I'm working on getting my Sylvan Learning Center docs. Um, Ryan, why don't you find uh, fire up the uh, randomatron here? I got a set it for fan stories. We haven't done one of those in a while. Fan stories calibrating, and we're thinking at it right now. Fan submission. All right. This is actually a pretty recent one that popped up. It's pretty good. Um, this is from... Oh, let me see. This is from Jenna. Hey, guys. So this may end up being kind of long, but I'll try to condense it down as much as possible to save some time. Feel free to use my first name, Jenna. I've been a believer in the strange, unusual, and paranormal since I was a kid. My first experience with the paranormal happened when I was roughly five years old. This happened at some point between Thanksgiving and Christmas. 
My parents used to set up this pretty crystal nativity set and have it on the entertainment center. One night after dinner, my family was sitting in the living room watching TV when the baby Jesus from the nativity set was flung across the room and hit my dog, who was laying on the floor roughly five feet away from the entertainment center. Weird, yeah? Now, my memory of it could be chalked up to a kid's imagination if it only happened that one time. That crystal baby Jesus went flying across the room every single year in four different houses. Every Christmas, this happened. Eventually, my folks sold the damn thing. Now, that's not the only creepy paranormal thing I've experienced. From ages 10 to 19, I lived in this house where things just never felt right. It was creepy being home by myself or awake in the middle of the night. Just overall a creepy feeling. My entire family felt this creepiness. Even my mom, who doesn't believe in ghosts or most things paranormal, did a cleansing of the house with sage and a prayer. One night, I was about 17 and my little sister Sarah was sleeping in my room because she was very scared of hers. I was up late, screwing around on Facebook, reading, texting boys, whatever, when I hear my mom's bedroom door open. Very thin walls in this house, and no carpet, so every sound is amplified. And I hear her say, Sarah, what are you doing? Go to bed. I look down at my floor where my sister is sleeping and hear footsteps patter from just in front of my bedroom door to her room down the hall. When I asked my mom about it the following morning, she said, Sarah was standing in front of your door, staring. I don't know what it was standing outside my door that night or what caused baby Jesus to fly across the room, but there's been some freaky stuff happening in my houses growing up. Oh, thanks for uh, writing in, Jenna. Fucking paranormal Jesus figurines. Yeah, I, uh, I, I know that feeling. Like my parents, like my parents' home that I grew up in, uh, in West Kelowna there, always, man, me and my brother would hear like, phantom footsteps run up the stairs if we were downstairs and no one was home we'd hear pitter patter footsteps up like upstairs creak in the hardwood always freaked the shit out of us man we used to like we used to like run and like we'd grab our like sticks and lacrosse sticks and run upstairs like, ah! nothing up there but always always freaked out so jenna i uh i know i know the feeling cool 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 all right dan what uh what we talk we're, the the case file Charles Southern and the 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 what did I say the black uh, black knights the black lords black yes. lords yeah so basically before we get into this I'm gonna do a little precursor we're gonna talk about the disappearance of this man named Charles Southern a little bit of a mysterious disappearance we're gonna talk about a lighter one because we're you know back from vacation get into it and <laughs> going into this guy. Leads you to uh, an absolute, <laughs> just wonky fucking person named Terry Hoffman and uh, her group called The Conscious Development of Body, Mind, and Soul. Uh, so me and Dan kind of fell down a rabbit hole early on. But um, why don't we start off with tra- talking about uh, old Chucky Southern and... Uh, We'll uh, we'll see where it go. We'll see where it goes. Chucky Southern, like that. Chucky Southern. Uh, Dan, what, what do we know about uh, Mr. Charles Southern Jr.? Well, <laughs> Charles Southern Jr. is 
a very strange case. There's something really, really weird about the guy. This guy was an esteemed professional, um, and he was an assistant chairman of the English department at a local junior college uh, near Chicago. Um, he had previously traveled. He was a worldly kind of guy, so he had traveled to places like India and Africa. Um, but this dude, at one point, um, had suffered like a major mental break at some time and his family was said that they found him wandering uh on the street one night uh carrying a newspaper that said something like i lived for art uh they put him in the car and they took him to michael reese hospital uh to get examined and they said uh they told the doctors that he might be suicidal um, and they said that he had seemed to be reciting something in a strange language that they couldn't really tell what it was uh, over and over again. Now, Charles had ended up getting, well, becoming an integral member of this Chicago branch of a, um, I guess you could call it a, cult. a, a yeah, okay, if you want to call it a cult. Go straight to cult here, let's not fuck around. Um. <laughs> And this cult was called uh, Conscious Development, uh, and it was run by uh, one Terry Hoffman. I believe that's right. Yeah. And uh, this place had had started small. Um, this was kind of the second branch that they had kind of built out here in uh, in Chicago. And he, when he was in the hospital after his mental break, uh, they had had members, at least two members of the conscious development group had visited him daily uh, while he recovered. Um, after he received treatment and, you know, his consequent recovery, uh, he seemed to kind of fall out with his, uh, his kind of infatuation or whatever you want to call it with the conscious development group and uh, its leader, uh, Terry Hoffman, and said that he had set about making plans for another trip to India. Well, after he was supposed to leave, um, or before he was supposed to leave, he, he called and he talked to his, uh, his parents and just told them everything's going to be okay and all that stuff. And he was leaving for his trip, which was supposed to only last two weeks. Well, uh, after two weeks and when he was supposed to get back, his parents said they had not heard from him so they drove the 300 miles from their hometown of cincinnati to chicago and ended up having to break into his house uh when they broke into his house uh they found a lot of uh interesting things uh there is charles passport uh that was in his home and had no uh recent entry stamps to india his parents had found a vial of drug which was similar to uh, curare, which is a kind of a poison that's uh, used uh, in kind of like African de death cults and things like that. And along with his hat and coat, which were folded inside out and placed on what they call a ceremonial stool. Now, uh, they said that the way that his outerwear was folded on the stool, they said that this uh, was some sort of Nigerian tribal symbol of death uh, that they told authorities and, and reporters after the fact. Yeah, the jacket, the jacket was pulled inside out. Right. What a weird symbol of death. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like pulling your jacket inside out and folding it nicely on a chair. 
yeah, and then you just lay it down and you're like, yeah, you're dead. But you know, I it's 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 weird because as weird as it is, I like I kind of get it. Like I'm like, yeah, okay, like yeah, he's not gonna wear that jacket anymore. It's inside out. He's, yeah. he's gone. Yeah, and <clears throat> along with that stuff, they said that they found two barely legible notes, and I saw pictures of the notes, and it was really just like a bunch of scribbles that it's looked like scribbly. Really nothing. Like you can kind of make it like Hoffman, and like a couple other words in there. It's like super hard to really. You gotta like get a magnifying glass to really read it. Right, and somehow uh, they were able to extract from these notes that he named. Terry Hoffman, the leader of this conscious development group, uh, as the sole executor of his state. And then there's another part that mysteriously kind of states or vaguely states that I came under a bad influence and I was trying to fight it myself. So Charles Southern Jr. was never heard from again after, you know, you know, except for the phone call that he had with his parents before he left or he said he left for India. And he has not uh, been found. He's still considered Um, missing. Yeah, he's still considered missing. Uh, Today, he would be 68 years old. No body, no nothing, ever. Yeah, no no blood at the scene, no nothing. Now, I... (laughs) I, like, right away, like, with the sign that... Him walking around, and I figured he was, like maybe had some sort of psychosis and had walked off and like, you know, w- went somewhere and died. And then, you know, he was, but it's kind of hard. Cause I'm like, you know what? He was, he had a pretty prominent position. Like he was the assistant chairman of the English department at a junior college in Chicago. So, you know, I think people would have, you know, more people would have been like, you know what? Maybe he's losing it a little bit. So I was really humming and hawing what could have happened with him. And then, I read about Terry Hoff. You hear, you hear her name in the note twice. Yeah. Who, she's and, the leader of the cult who he has been a part of for a while now. And he mysteriously just leaves her all his stuff and is never seen again. And that's when the rabbit hole starts. Yeah. Right there. Kind of like that's over the edge and then you start going. Because yeah. then, then you he, find out that and, what, like 11 people like causes like or deaths attached to her name deaths suicides and murders unsolved murders yeah unsolved murders with her name attached and these people are making wills that are be that are like i want to leave everything to terry hoffman and my last wish is that no one dispute this yes yeah, so is my That's last my, my last will and testament and it's all hers, and it's for it's for the religion. They call it religion, but it's really a cult. I mean, all religions are cults, really. But and then that's that's the rabbit hole. And then so this it was this this was the first guy, pretty much. And then down you go. Well, well he, I I don't even think he's the first guy. Not even close. Oh, well, he's just he's yeah, the when, guy we stumbled on. Yeah, we stumbled on him first, and then you just go down a hole of like, oh my god, there's people everywhere. Okay, so why don't we get into Terry? Hoffman a little bit, Dan. Who is what's Terry your, Hoffman? What's, what's this fucking man? There's some crazy, but she's got some crazy eyes. I'll tell you that. Um, what's her story? Well, Terry Hoffman was born in 1938, and she grew up in pretty much what people would describe as, um, you know, abject poverty. She grew up picking cotton out in the summer heat, and by where she grew up, she ended up. Um, 
1954, at the age of 15, she actually ended up married somehow. And shortly after that, she became pregnant with her first child. So early, (laughs) early start, early start. Yeah. And like the person, I can't remember if the, her first spouse was like things I read. It was like, he may have been a little bit of a pedo a little bit like schoolgirls. That would, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Totally fit. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but his name was John Wilder and they ended up having after that, uh, one kid, they had two other ones. So they had, they had a total of three children together. Um, Terry kind of began her whole, I guess you could call it like her transformation into this kind of, you know, metaphysical new age guru. Um, as she kind of started having gatherings with some of her friends and uh, I guess close relatives where they would kind of discuss religion in these groups. Um, she, her teachings are kind of the way that she, what she wanted to lean toward. She drew a lot from uh, the writings of uh, Edgar Casey, And if uh, I know we're probably going to get to a case follow on him at some point. Yeah, they call they call him the sleeping prophet, wasn't he? Didn't he do all his prophesizing when he was asleep? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he's got a. I mean, most of his stuff, I think, is what we get about our information about Atlantis and a lot of cool uh, stuff that he kind of made predictions, uh, telling the future. Um, but she took a lot of stuff from this. Uh, she she got a lot of stuff from like self help groups. Um, she took classes in hypnosis, and so she started actually offering up weekly meditation classes and these meditation classes during these, she would say that um, she would lead students on tours of temples of the higher realms. Uh, So she was kind of being their tour guide uh, for the, you know, the kingdom of heaven or however she put it. Uh, that was her thing. You know, you'd all, everybody would sit down and they would meditate and she would kind of allow them. I I really think it's just kind of like a, kind of just a method of just like, what's it called? Like cold read. You kind of let the people just like come up with whatever it is. It it, it felt like one of those kind of, you know, everybody adds something to the story, (laughs) you know, they're kind of making making up as they go. But she, but like ever since she was a child, she always wanted like, she wanted to be more because I guess she came from like poverty kind of. And she always said she wanted to be like, you know, have the power. And she got involved in all the spiritual stuff and started doing meditations and stuff. And then she got quite a following. And then let's want should we go to the first, uh, the first murder? Uh, well, we, first, can, we can, we can start it. She started to do these classes in the late sixties. Um, and then with some, help from some of her you know, more devoted followers because she's taking all these people on different astral planes and fucking who knows where. I have a feeling some drugs were involved. <laughs> but uh, um, she then incorporated her movement and called it the Conscious Development of Body, Mind, and Soul in 1974 and started selling lessons and private consultations. Um, she started a jewelry business. She was... She would instruct her followers that they would they could buy expensive jewelry or give her jewelry, and uh, she would turn them into protective gems. And a lot of this jewelry had bad 
bad, some bad energies, negative energies. And if you gave it to her, she could use them because she could change the negative energies uh, to positive energies. <laughs> because um, she told all her followers that you know they had to av- avoid negative energies at all costs because negative energies they can prove fatal. Yeah, and one simple kind of uh, plan kind of overarched through the little jewelry business she was uh, running. And it was pretty much the more expensive the gem, the more powerful it was. More energy it could hold. Right. Because, of course. It makes sense. Isn't that, isn't that what, like, Reiki is? Crystals and energy and... Yeah, I mean, that's that's one way to the, to look at it, definitely. Um, the, the guy who was actually kind of running the whole kind of jewelry business uh, was uh, this guy that was one of her followers, and his name was Glenn Cooley. Uh, Glenn Cooley and her actually ended up getting married um, at one point. So second husband. Second husband. And but- he was, was it? He was... 20 and she was 33 and a mother of three at this point, which I mean, <laughs> good for her. So by mid 1970s, she's, she's got like over a couple hundred, hundred people attending her weekly lectures in Dallas, Texas. Um, and with many, many more of that, um, taking her printed lessons because she was now printing books like her gospel, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 Soon after this, that she has like an inner circle of devoted, um, I don't even know what they call them, (laughs) some weird people. Um, But she explains to them that she's the reincarnation of St. Teresa of Avila and that she was waging war against these so-called black lords on uh, that are the, the bad guys in several planes of existences. Yeah, and the and her confirmation uh, of these black lords trying to kill her was what she attributed. What she said that she got from uh, after Glenn, uh, her husband, who they actually divorced in 1977, and about six days later, uh, on February, eh, well, six days later after they got divorced in January 27th, so that's February 1st. Uh, Glenn Cooley was found deceased in a cabin which was owned by his parents and it was determined that his death was due to a drug overdose. And so then, uh, fortunately for Terry, they found a note in her safe which apparently had been left by Glenn there the day before. (laughs) And in this letter, uh, he bequeathed all of his worldly possessions and all everything that he owned to Terry, because of course. I and he Glenn Cooley give to Terry Cooley all of my property, both personal and real. This includes two boats, a nineteen seventy two Buick, all jewelry and equipment for its making, all furnishings for the house of Dunhaven Road, and all cash. That was the note. And then it said, I ask that this last will of testament not be challenged or contested <laughs> by anyone for any reason. Last but not least, I give all my love to all my family and friends. <laughs> All my love. Yeah, not uh, suspicious at all. Not suspicious at all. So after Glenn died, uh, his untimely death seemed uh, 
to be used by Terry to kind of verify that there is this metaphysical force of the black lords that she referred to. And these black lords, she described as uh, existing on an astral and mental plane. And you could only combat them by following her instructions that she distributed to her inner circle of teachers. And she called these guys called the, what were they called? The, they were called like the, uh, like the white brotherhood or something. I can't remember. I couldn't something like that. I couldn't remember what either. Called like the White Council or something. It's something really. Oh, yeah, bad. there was a, yeah the, the good version. The twelve, of the... the twelve masters or something. Some masters of the universe. Yeah. Power. Of um, but so in aiding them, aiding them were God, and oh sorry, God and the twelve masters, such as Jesus, but they're obviously only visible to Terry Hoffman. Yeah. So. Of course. Now she's also claiming she could communicate with the dead and see the past and the future. <laughs> right. Dude, I really, I, I got to hit on this Black Lord thing so much because this is like, so she's taking like these, I, I, yeah, I guarantee there were drugs involved in these things. So she's taking these people on these astral adventures and to these mental planes and to, they had, you know, she made it clear that it's like, oh, we have to go kill them. And the only way you can kill them is to take them to the pits of hell where their souls can be uh, <laughs> and lower bodies can be dissolved. But these were only the mini bosses because then you had the big bosses, which were the black overlords. And the black overlords are so powerful that apparently, quote, they cannot be dissolved in the pits of hell, but must instead be taken to the electromagnetic dissolving cave. <laughs> <laughs> So, but like the black that. overlords are not your only threat. You also have you have your overlords, your black overlords, and you also have the garbons. Dope. And these garbons are quote about six feet tall with long beaks. Garbons have gargoyle like appearance, covered with slime, and they have even been known to touch uh, one in the physical realm, and they leave a slime on the body of their victim. <laughs> Now, too good. So let's get into how how Terry Hoffman would combat. So how would these battles go? Because she said she would have to lead her inner circle to battle. Meditation um, battles. Meditation battles. So Dan, was anyone hurt in these battles? <laughs> I don't think physically. Terry was so strong at battling these dark lords that no one ever got hurt. Well, no, <laughs> I had read. That she had told them that they, while they were meditating, they were all in vicious battles on other planes. But she was so powerful that she took their pain and she lived with their pain, so they wouldn't feel any pain from the battles. Oh, the old Messiah there, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good shit right there. Now she also instructed her inner circle that they were to carry swords, like they they should carry swords and have swords with them, and swords at their house to combat the, you know the the black lords and these things. And, not and then when some of her followers got swords and were like walking around with swords, she was like, Ugh, you know what? We don't really need swords. We just need like, they just need to be like, we know their swords, but you can use like a stick. Yeah. Representation. So a lot of them started carrying letter openers and, <laughs> and stuff like that as their, as their swords. Now this gets better. She also instructed them 
that if they were to craft their own robes using special materials <laughs> and a special way of make it, it would make them 15% stronger. So where do you get these numbers? Like 15%? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, fifth, not 50, not... It's 15%, exactly not, 15%. Not 5-0, 1-5% stronger. I'm like, is that really, to be honest, like if you right now were like, hey, Braden, if you go make this t-shirt, go make this t-shirt at home, if you do this and you put it on, you're going to be 15% stronger. I'm going to be like, how long is it going to take me to make this shirt? Because that doesn't sound like a really good like a trade-off if I have to like weave this shirt. 15%? That's pretty, think about it. 15% stronger is Pretty good. Think if you're benching th- 300 pounds. Now you're, benching hey, well, three, you're bun- now you're benching like 345. That's not that big of a change though. For one shirt, one robe? Yeah, but that's it. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's not like you're you're getting mm. stronger anyways. Hey, I'm I'm convinced by this girl. If she told me to fucking sew a cloak for 15% strength, I'm in. Sold. So She got me. So you have all these people sitting around a room, listening to Terry Hoffman lead them into battle. They're wearing homemade robes and uh, hats. It's like a full-on live-action role-playing yeah. session. It's, it's a, a great game of D&D. It's fucking Dungeons & Dragons, man. It's Dungeons & Dragons. It's no different than... Fireball, lightning. <laughs> it's no different than when Dungeon Master Dan takes us on to a different astral uh, change. Yeah, mine are way more fun, <laughs> I'm sure. Our new religion... Yeah. And then not only did she, they were doing that stuff, but after Glenn's death, she used that to say that the blood of the, of the followers were tainted and they had to start using bloodletting techniques and they would like siphon out just like a little, you know, just a little, like a little vial of blood. And that, that was like saving them from the dark Lord's poisoning. Yeah. But bloodletting, like, come on. Like, and they were, yeah. And it's not even ceremonial blades and stuff. They were just using well, little sterilized syringes. And yeah. just like, that's. What? Like, what? What do you do with all that blood? I don't know. Yeah. Doesn't say what they did with it after, but well, I'll tell you what it did to her followers. It started, you know, a lot of people started to jump off the old uh, the old train uh, once they got to the point where they had to start bloodletting. Um, so it was like I think late seventies, and this was the first time the movement started to decrease. Like it was increasing rapidly. And it started to, once the bloodletting was brought in. <laughs> that was the last yeah, straw. Yeah. A lot of people were like, ah. Uh, the I, LARPing was fun, but uh, I, I'm going to draw the line at bloodletting. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's real. Now you're not taking the pain. I'm feeling it. This was like, this was probably peak hepatitis time too. So you should probably share needles with each other. Yeah. No. So fi- later on, late years and years later, so Cooley, remember we talked about Cooley who died, her second husband, um, died in the cabin by himself. Years and years later, a, a former high-ranking like follower told investigators that Hoffman like, had said that Cooley was going to go to the next level, and the two had visited him at the cabin the night before his death, but after he had ingested the drug. So they were there before he OD'd, and then they left. I read that it's going too, to the and then next I never, level. He's leveling I never, up. I never seen like there was no investigation about that really after, was there? Okay, the only time the only time she was ever under investigation of any kind 
was because she filed for bankruptcy, but she failed to mention that she had all these other bank accounts with all these other trust funds from all these other people leaving her shit in their wills. So the FBI got involved and were investigating. And there's, there's like about three deaths in of three people dying. It was brought to the FBI's attention. And the FBI is quoted on saying, hey, listen, we're only investigating her on the bankruptcy matters and the financial matters. We want nothing to do with this hocus pocus nonsense. Yeah. Weird. (laughs) And you're like, what? Like, that's kind of weird. Like, so we got, we talked about Glenn Cooley. What's, uh, who's next? Well, then we'd have, uh, Miss Devereaux, or that was her name. And Miss Devereaux was the daughter of one, uh, what was her name? Sandy Cleaver and yeah. Devereaux was her daughter, Devereaux Cleaver. And Sandy Cleaver was one of uh, Terry's kind of one of her at the time, like 1974 uh, was her most trusted follower because you can tell because she had the, the position of secretary treasurer. Cause you definitely don't want to put, you know, you want your person that you trust the most to be your money, man. Most loyal and- for the money. This is San, the Sandy Cleaver story. We could we could have you know if we had found out found her, we could have probably done a case file on her too. Um, basically, how she started was um, she she married her husband. Um, they had their daughter Susan, and then she started to um, she kind of had a tough life, and she started to go to these sessions, and she fell fucking head over heels for Terry Hoffman's fucking nonsense. Um, so much so that Terry was starting to, um, tell Sandy Cleaver that, you know, she can deflect all these evil spirits that are affecting her energies. But unfortunately, uh, Chuck Cleaver, her husband was a source of negative spirits and he was too powerful for Terry. And he was so negative that it was going to infect her daughter, uh, Susan Devereaux. Um, so Sandy Cleaver ended up splitting up with her husband because of her new religious beliefs and her and her ex-husband now now ex Chuck Cleaver had an insane divorce like went to court pretty high profile back in the late 70s and Chuck Cleaver wanted full custody of the then 14-year-old uh Susan Devereaux. Yep. And he was going to get her and even Sandy's lawyer was like, yeah, you know, Sandy can't stop fucking talking about all these evil spirits and all this fucking shit in court. He's probably, you're, she's probably <laughs> going to lose custody of the daughter. And at the last minute, Chuck decided, you know what? I'll split custody. I'll do visitation because he was worried what Sandy would do if he took Susan away from her. Yeah. He was so uh, sure that Sandy's belief in reincarnation like posed an actual threat uh, that there was the potential that she would kill uh, Susan uh, then yeah then permit her to live with him so that's how this is how he you know this is how scary these people were at this point and these people had become so infatuated with with Terry <laughs> now it gets it gets terrible so Sandy Cleaver then, you know, in all accounts, Susan Devereaux was a little embarrassed of her mom's crazy beliefs when Rightfully she had people so. over and like a little bit, you know, it's like when you're, you know, everyone's mom has that one little thing they're, you know, a little weird on and then they'll say it in front of your friends and you're like, 
Fuck, <sighs> come on, mom. Um, but Sandy, um, was you know told Susan, hey, like I'm I'm gonna go to Hawaii with some friends from the 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 whatever what's it called development body of mind soul. We're gonna go to Hawaii. So Susan Devereaux jumped at the opportunity to go with her mom, do these things. They went rafting, and some there's some wave or something. No, it, they went into a lagoon, which was like more fit for like it says for like catching crabs yeah. rather than for swimming. Yeah, if we have any uh, listeners in Hawaii, it was near uh, Wailupe or Wailupe Peninsula, which is on Oahu. If anybody's ever been there. <laughs> yeah, and I guess there was so there's a lagoon and there was a like a, a reef around the outside where the waves were crashing, like that was the break, the surf break. And I guess a wave hit them; they got cra- hit off their raft. Another wave came in, smashed them again. Sandy was injured, and Devereux, or Devereux drowned out there. Right. According to Sandy. That's According what to her said. mom. So. Mm. Now, the weird thing about that is, like, you know, very sad. The 14-year-old dies. Mm-hmm. The father, Chuck, gets notified. He flies to Hawaii. When he gets there, he finds that Terry Hoffman is already there. And while he flew to Hawaii, some people delivered his daughter's will to his house (laughs) that he was left. So in the course of like a day, members of the church had already delivered a 14-year-old's will that was going to leave her $125,000 trust fund to be left to Terry. $125,000 $125,000 trust fund plus her rock collection and yep. her basketball. And her basketball. <laughs> yeah. I can't forget that basketball. Yeah. To Donated to the Conscious Development Group for a school or for a world cruise. Either one of those things. Yeah, because that's what a 14-year-old is thinking about when they leave a – like, I mean, number one, 14-year-olds can't really write minors can't no, leave wills. It, but, it's you illegal. Know, it's <laughs> – and then this is, and this was the will by a 14 year old. No one writes like this when they're 14. I give, devise, and bequeath all of my property, including all rights, titles, and interests of whatever character I may own, and to any property, real, personal, or mixed, wherever situated, to Terry, who has been like a second mother. <laughs> when I was 14, I never remember bequeathing, bequeathing. anything to anyone. <laughs> I'm not giving nothing away when I'm 14, I'm hoarding everything. Queef. Queef. Dude, I'm I'm 30. I don't even have a will. Like no one, no 14 year old has a this is ludicrous. You don't have yeah. Come on. Suspicious, if nothing else. Very suspicious. So um. now you know, on all accounts, Sandy Cleaver took the death of her daughter really hard. So hard that she decided it was a good idea to take out a three hundred thousand life insurance policy on herself with the sole benefit being guess Terry Hoffman Terry Hoffman mm-hmm. and also transferred the her house uh to Terry Hoffman and then began paying Terry Hoffman rent to live in the home that she gifted to Terry Hoffman and made her the executor of her estate giving her power over all her personal belongings Dude, I I just like I'm like how to me, like when I read that, I was like, "Is that real?" Some fucking crazy lady 
talked someone who, you know, owns a house to give you the house, to just give you the house. And then after they've given you the house, you have the balls to be like, well, this is my house. Are you going to pay me rent or what? (laughs) (laughs) My house now. Yeah, it's my house now. Like, are you paying rent or what? Because uh, I'm getting some negative energies about you not paying rent. <laughs> it's even it's even um, weirder though because now so you had Sandy and then her 78 year old housekeeper, Louise Watson, also wrote a will that same day naming Sandy executive of her will. So the girl who gave all her stuff, who signed her stuff over to Terry, her housekeeper gave signed all her stuff over to Sandy. So technically now Terry's got both their stuff. So now Sandy and Luis are traveling to the Colorado Springs area, which I guess where Terry and Don, which is her now her third husband, I believe, bought some property in the mountains. So on September 9th, 1981, Sandy and uh, Sandy and Wa- uh, Luis left their home and their vehicle is found the next day at the base of a 450 foot cliff and the in good driving conditions with no, no tire marks or anything. No, 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 no squealing tires or didn't they didn't attempt to break by the investigation. Just launched off this cliff and just so. Yeah, both of the both of the women were expelled from the vehicle. Um, no tire marks, no witnesses, and no cause uh, for the wreck has ever been determined. Yeah, it's no. it's bananas. So what these girls? It seems like they just drove off the cliff. Sandy, Sandy was, I don't know, it was probably Sandy driving, just took poor Louise with her. Yeah. Didn't want to go alone to the next plane of existence. To go to the next level. Um, Because Tara would keep telling her followers that death isn't the end. Death is just another um, another realm of existence. Another, yeah, exactly. So it's not something to be scared of. Um, and you can go anytime. Now, uh, Sandy Cleaver's brother was obviously did not respect the last will of his sister and contested the will, um, calling it a fraud and undue influence. Um, this brought, this essentially drugged, dragged the, uh, the cult into the light and gave them really bad publicity. Um, so they were getting hammered by the media at the time. So Hoffman decided to settle out of court. So she settled. I don't, I don't know the, it's about like half. It's like one hundred and twelve thousand of the of the three hundred thousand life insurance policy, and then and then they were going to split fifty percent the proceeds from selling Sandy's house. I think. Yeah. So she still got tons of money, not as much as tons she wanted, money. but she still got tons. Now, in that case, um, four of her follow four of her followers testified on her behalf, and three of those four would later commit suicide. Yeah. So, like all this. All this publicity now of this death and the cult, no more deaths happened for about six years. But then they escalated equally as equally as hard. After six years, people started fucking just offing themselves. So who's next? Who's next on the list of, of Terry? I think we bring in uh, Robin Ostad. Oh, man. So after Sandy died, Robin Ostad was, you know, fortunate enough to take, uh, fortunate or unfortunate enough to take Sandy's place uh, in the group and took the responsibility of rewriting all of the correspondence courses for the consciousness, conscious development uh, society or whatever you want to call them. Um, She was 
a super devout follower. Like this lady had filled her house with, you know, all the protective crystals. She had all the infinity gems and <laughs> she had these gnome like doll figurines. Uh, she slept with special protective shields, uh, <laughs> which were, uh, I assume comprised of like lengths of different, uh, Cobber tubing, which yeah. were twisted into strange and serpentine shapes, is how they were described. And these uh, served as protection from the Black Lords. Yes. So she's the gone Black full Lords. she's gone full send into the cult. Oh yeah. She's and then, and then she gets even weirder. <laughs> if that wasn't even enough. Uh, apparently in 1986, Robin Odstot claimed that she started to uh, engage in this kind of supernatural love affair with uh, they they describe him as an invisible CIA agent named oh, George Yeah, I love that the invisible CIA operative yeah they, they have detailed journals uh, and books that were written by her uh, that were reviewed by investigators and they they told about she wrote about dates and trips and conversations with this incorporeal uh you know secret agent that visited her um dude this is this is a perfect it's the perfect like storm where you have someone that has some mental illness that are in the thralls of mental illness and they run into someone like terry hoffman who just exploits the shit out of it master manipulator master manipulator and manipulates the delusions that she's having and like yeah this terry hoffman lady she's like hard in the paint she's like all over the map she's got the black lords she's got the freaking black overlords the garbons and then she goes and then she starts dipping into you know whatever necromancy she can talk to the <laughs> dead she's got all the, like she has all the infinity gems she has all of them because she can yeah. do all this stuff so you know she got uh I don't know. She's got she got a reality gem, definitely. And then uh, you know she's got all these ones that she can. Uh, I don't know. She's got the soul gem at least because so she's she almost she almost has the she almost CIA. has the gauntlet. She, she was talking about gauntlet. she was training like a special you know a special task force or something of CIA agents that were like invisible. You know, oh, she yeah. was training. She was training. She claimed to be training them in spiritual warfare or whatever you call it. You know what though? Early on. You know, the CIA was doing weird shit. So I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, had some fucking people come and talk with her and like see what she was about. They were doing some. Yeah. yeah. I like that wouldn't surprise me too much. And then she just went, she's like fabricating it to like, I'm training these fucking CIA agents. Or maybe that she's just showing them how to do the drugs. Who knows? Right. So, you know, about a year after this, this really strange love affair uh she contacted uh her ex-husband and she said that she or she claimed that she had contracted a terminal case of viral hepatitis from a banana Um, peel a banana peel (laughs) what which is from what i've looked into it i tried to find out if this was like can that actually happen and i tried to look it up and no, it can't happen. But on a side note, I also saw, found an article about promising research from 2007 about using bananas as a vehicle for vac- for hepatitis vaccines. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> Wait, so 
<laughs> like you would genetically modify bananas. Apparently, bananas are a very uh, effective or a very uh, suitable vehicle to uh, to you know d- distribute vaccines. Uh, so in 2007, there's a scientific article about about that, which I found on while I was trying to research. Can you get hepatitis from a banana peel? Listen, well, hepatitis is only transmitted through blood. Not it's not an STI, right? Like not through sexual intercourse or anything. As far as I know, I don't know. You, you got to like, yeah, I don't through blood. So maybe, well, I don't even know if I want to say it. She's having some type of orgy with a banana. <laughs> maybe she, you know, someone else used a banana and then she used a banana. I guess if you put like you want you want anal banana, got a little blood on it, <laughs> and then reinserted this bloody banana, maybe. But turns out, <laughs> turns out, this <laughs> is too uh, funny. I'm I guess, following uh, it. Yeah, I'm following <laughs> it. Later that week after she told her husband that she had this case of viral hepatitis and she's going to die, she allegedly, I guess, visited Terry later that day after she told, actually, that, later that day after she told her husband and then proceeded to return home to her own house and then shoot herself with a 38 caliber revolver that same night. She then bequeathed her Colorado land, all her jewelry, writings, and personal files, figurines, clothes, bedroom furniture to Terry Hoffman. And also wrote, I'm apologizing to Terry, 3000XAWK, weird writing, she was all fucked up, who knows, on levels of all my being for the highly offensive, rude, and vulgar comments made to her last week. I love her dearly and beg beg her forgiveness one day. Blood tests later confirmed that she had no signs of hepatitis or any other disease. <laughs> it's fucking nuts, man. This Terry girl's just got these people just like wrapped up. She's got them. She probably told her that she has this, you know, and they're like, you know what? Death's, you know, death's another plane. Don't be afraid of it. You know, kill yourself and, you know, just give your stuff self to me and the, and the cause and your life will be purposeful. That's probably what she's yeah. telling these people. And she talks about all these things, like all your connection, like her, her, her kind of preachings were like, you know, connections, physical belongings. These are the things that are tethering you and making you less effective at fighting, you know, the black lords and stuff like this. So you have to, you have to isolate yourself. So, I mean, that's really just a strategy just to get people to, you know, isolate themselves more and make her, make her, you know, bring them more into your thrall because you're their sole influence on, on their life. And it's just like, yeah, these people just really got into it. Like, and, and I mean, if you look into a lot of these people's lives, like a lot of them had had like earlier trauma or they had had Mm. earlier, um, problems, like they'd been really down, but that, I mean, that's what you see with most, you know, people who join or get wrapped up in, in cults and things. It's just like, they're at a really low point in their life or, you know, having a really hard time. Uh, and they just get, he get pulled into this, (laughs) This, you know, makes you feel real special fighting those black lords. All right. So now we got, let's go into Jill, Jill Bounds. Jill Bounds is where we start to dive into the mysterious, uh, dive away from mysterious suicides and into like, she was murdered. hundred percent. You're going way down. Um, Okay. Okay. Cool. Let's do it. Well, are we way down? I thought she was next. There's more, but let's do her first. Okay. Well, so Jill Bounds was a psychologist. She believed in, you know, tarot card readings and all that weird nonsense. And she felt uh, 
she fell head over heels again for Hoffman and her teachings. Jill, you know, there was nothing, nothing of note. Uh, she went home one day uh, in September 1988. And then the couple days, she started missing meetings with friends. So her friends called the police. Uh, the police, not wanting to break into her house, allowed her friends to use a spare key to enter the house. They found Jill in her bedroom, beaten to death. They believe whoever murdered murdered her entered through a window. While Jill, while Jill had an alarm system, her windows were not covered by it. However, the window that had been found open had actually had the screen and frame removed, which was extremely hard to do from the outside of the house. Inside of the house, it would be fairly easy to do. So, like, the screen wasn't damaged. For If you were pulling a screen from the outside, you'll bend it and shit, but you can pop them out from the inside real easy. Uh, and... From everything I found, the screen was not damaged at all. It was just popped out. She had a stained glass owl on the window that had been removed and set aside. Something that would be difficult to do if you were from the outside jumping in. There were only a few things missing from her house. A journal uh, from 1979 had been rifled through and had pages torn out and bloody smudges on it. There was also blood in the bathroom where apparently the assailant had attempted to clean up. Surprise, surprise, expensive jewelry she had kept hidden in her laundry room and her gun she kept in her nightstand was missing. Yeah, which the crazy thing is, is like when you look at the reports is that they stole things like her hidden jewelry and stuff. They didn't steal any of the expensive stuff like her computer and like stuff that you would steal in like a regular kind of robbery. Like they knew where to look for stuff. It was somebody who was, if you look at it, you're, you're like, it's somebody who knew her. You know, and it's 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 almost like so obvious. And then yet there's like nothing there. I mean, I'm sure it was really frustrating to, you know, her her parents and, and the people who cared about her, you know, seeing this. They're like, you know, who's responsible. You know, it has something to do with this, but you can't. You don't have anything to go on. Nothing solid. Yeah. Like her family still believes to this day that her murder, her involvement in the group, like the conscious development group led to her murder. Like that's, it's still, it's still unsolved the murder, but her family deeply believes that because of all of her associations with Terry and the group, because she actually left the group in like 82. And then she like accused Terry of like, Oh, she put, she's putting cockroaches into my house. And like, she's like, you know, attacking me this way. And then yeah. She was, I think she was legit. Uh, you know, she felt definitely threatened by her on like a metaphysical level. Yeah. She said she was sending a plague of cockroaches to her house and she was accusing uh, Terry of being like a witch uh, that was, you know, kind of messing with her, sending all kinds of negative energies and and whatnot her way. Uh, But she was, she was terrified, you know, and I guess, you know, rightfully so the way it ended. Bonkers. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I, I'll even, uh, I'll even I have a theory about who killed her. Who's that? I I think Terry Hoffman's fourth husband, Don Hoffman, killed Jill Bounds. And then killed himself through suicide? Suicide? So Jill Bounds was found dead September nineteen eighty eight. Um and this is a connection I'm making. I haven't read this anywhere. I'm making this connection. Um Don Hoffman was the fourth husband of Terry Hoffman. 
And on September 16th, 1988, he checked into a Marriott hotel where he committed suicide. Uh, a videotape he had recorded just before he passed away was discovered. Um, and in the tape, he, say, he stated that he had seen several specialists and he had terminal cancer. Um, an autopsy was performed and there was no sign of cancer or any other illness. And there was no trace of, of him visiting any specialists and no cancer specialist in the area that had any history of meeting with him. His children, unrelated to Terry, believe that Terry tricked him into believing he had terminal cancer and into altering his will and, of course, leaving his estate and removing all his children from his will. They believe she hypnotized him and forced him into commit suicide. Well, what I think is, I think Terry talked him into killing Jill Bounds on the guise of, I need you to do this because you have this cancer, tricked him into thinking he has terminal cancer and he's going to die. He films this video. He gets her to, he gets him, she gets him to film this video saying that he has terminal cancer. She's convinced him of this. He then kills Jill Bounds. And under the weight of what's happened, he checks himself into that Marriott hotel and commits suicide. And if he didn't do it, he was involved enough that the guilt weighed on him so heavy. And he figured that because he had cancer, he was going anyways, he couldn't live with it anymore, and offed himself. Hey, sound theory, my books. Uh, Maybe. So, let's see. I mean, to put that all together, it had to be like, I think he died? Like, I think he was dead before? I think he was dead after. It's He was dead September 16th, and Jill Bounds was found early September 1988. So he killed, he killed himself shortly after. No, they, they say uh, on September 20th, uh, 1988, Jill Bounds was attacked and bludgeoned to death in her bed. So I assume that's when the the, yeah, the death was timed. Oh, I saw, the, yeah, the only late. article I read said early September. He killed himself on September 16th. Well, September 16th, he checked into a room in the Marriott Hotel and committed suicide by overdose. So that was September 16th, so four days before. Those are pretty close together, though. That is. Yeah, very close. <laughs> I, I had we, read it was early September for uh, Terry Bounds. That's why I made that connection. But yeah. I still, I still, then if he didn't do it, he knew about it and he couldn't, he couldn't uh, go through with it. I think Jill, I think Jill, they said, uh, at least one article mentioned, I think it was her sister or one of her family members had said that uh, one of her male friends from the, from the conscious uh, development, you know, group, I guess they had had some sort of meeting or something like that, or some kind of outing. And he he seemed that he asked a really, you know, what a really weird question, you know, because you don't really ask the question about, do do you know if she has a life insurance policy? You know, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When does that ever come up in in conversation with just, you know, people you don't really know? Unless you're a salesman of life insurance policies. That's the only time. That's the only time people talk about it. Yeah. (sighs) It's fucking, man, it's bananas how many people are in this. And we like, we actually missed this one girl too, uh, Mary Levinson, who was part of the conscious development group forming in Chicago at the time. And I guess she had, she suffered from chronic knee pain and she had more than a dozen suicide attempts before this, but she had like weekly phone calls with Terry leading up to when she was found dead in her, in a hotel room or in a motel room in Chicago motel room with a glass of Sprite and a hundred pills, a bunch of different like um, sleeping pills. And the same thing. She wrote a note 
She donated money to institutions. She had like $125,000 divorce settlement, I guess. And pretty much she wrote a note saying pretty much that it's her money to do what, what she pleases. And then discovered that her mother's charge card to buy more than $3,000 worth of jewelry leading up to the time of her suicide was used. And the jewelry and the cash from her divorce settlement were never found. God. Another girl with a weekly contact with the same girl. Fucking Terry. Like, <laughs> how, many, how, also, many, how many people? Man, we also missed David and Glenda Goodman. Yeah, they're the last ones. They're the last uh, ones. As far as I can tell. Um, David, is it David? David Goodman was a uh, four, well, he's almost 40. Um, and he actually ended up getting married off by Terry Hoffman after he joined the group uh, to two 20-something-year-old followers uh, by the early 80s. And both of those marriages failed. Uh, David had come from a um, like a failed marriage already before he kind of got into conscious development. He was actually like a really smart guy. Uh, this guy was like an intellectual. Um, he had a had experience with kind of attending different uh, religious things. He was kind of into the Harry Krishna and had interest in the kind of Eastern philosophies and and things like that. Um, when he got involved with conscious development, however, he just really got really got into it. Something I guess really got to him, uh, whether it was Terry's personality or, or or something like that, you know. Uh, in 1984, he felt that he had truly found his soulmate in Glenda Carlson, who was a divorced mother, who was also a very devout member of the conscious development. And uh, I guess a lot of these guys kept journals back then because a lot of them um, kind of from these journals, they said that they had a lot of particularly, quote, particularly insightful meditations that took place with the aid of white pills. Uh, these, some sort of unidentified capsules that Terry had provided them. And this is something you see with all kinds of cults. I know, I, I know we talked about it at least in one of other, our other cult episode that, you know, drugs are usually involved and it's just like, you know, here, take these pills. They'll make you, yeah, you know, yep. they'll open your mind. She, she would provide them and let everyone know there were vitamins to, uh, vitamins in, enhance their powers but their uh glenda and david's death is one of the more gruesome ones uh they were found january 1990 and they had been shot to death and they had been they weren't found until a month later after their death uh at a lake islands home and they said that the uh, authorities ruled their deaths as a double suicide and glenda had a very uh, you know, one of those really weird final journal entries, which uh, seemed to be a uh, quote, a warning from God about leeches and meddlers who would try to persuade her that she would never get her <laughs> energies. Uh, Bonkers, man. These are uh, borderline insanity. I don't, I don't know how to get, how to get past that. You know, well, on a good note, let's, let's end on a good note. I've, I know she, Terry Hoffman, like, let me guess how this story ends. She finally gets arrested and has to pay for her crimes. Hell Shortly no. after 1990, right? Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> she doesn't go on to live a normal life until she dies of old age. That couldn't be possible. <sighs> Unfortunately, uh -huh. it is. In 89, and after the deaths of David and Glenda Goodman, 
the Dallas County District Attorney filed a wide-ranging investigation and couldn't really put concrete evidence that Terry was directly responsible for the deaths of these 10 people that yeah. were part of her cult. But you can't connect the dots. She, just... They pretty much came up. Their final thing was like these folks were like they had emotional problems before Terry found them and they became easy victims for hypnosis and for her to pretty much take their stuff without really committing the crime. She just pretty much manipulated them to do it, but they couldn't really find evidence to convict her. So then nothing really happened. It's got to be like the worst feeling for like a, well, I like for a prosecutor to just be like, ah, you fucking know. Especially these families bringing these cases in. You're just like, there's nothing I can do. And they're like, but we know that she did it. It's like, well, she didn't really do it. These other people did it. It's like, she made them do it. They're like, well, possibly like she made them do it. Like probably did, but, can't prove. I mean, she convinced them to do it, but it was still by their own hand. They still made the conscious decision to end their lives. It's, it's just, yeah. Uh, it, it had to be incredibly, incredibly frustrating and and sad. Obviously, this girl Terry Hoffman started off with just like this little cult, and eventually, like the power started to take hold of her, and she could really realize that she could manipulate her followers and pretty much doing whatever she wants, giving her money. Like, how much money did she get from all these people in the end? Is there like a final tally? How much oh, money and I, jewels? I and... think a bunch of it wasn't even, uh, some of it didn't even get discovered. I bet there was a bunch that, like they said, they never found those jewels. Uh, there's the a bunch of stuff that they didn't find. Yeah. And these are, these are just people linked in her, like in her inner circle too, right? There's no saying that, you know, there's some people, because by all accounts, a lot of people were into this shit. So, you know, maybe there's some outs, out riders that, you know, did the same thing. Um, but, Terry Lee Hoffman died October 31st, 2015, at the age of 77. And she still lived in Dallas, Texas. It's bananas because she she actually. Balls, man. She never left. She just stayed there. She stayed there. And she faced like all those. She faced like, what was it, 10 counts of fraud and potentially 50 years in jail. She appealed it in 95, saying there was insufficient evidence. And the case was dismissed and she was acquitted. And then she lived out her days with nothing. (laughs) Like she just lived them out. Scott free. Scott free. I just, I, man, I just don't, it's so hard for me to think that someone, I would love to be a fly on the wall on listening, listening to her, like talk to these people and like get them caught in her web because I'm like, that's a, that's a fucking power of itself. You know what I mean? Like that's, even to be able to do that to someone who is vulnerable, like I'm like, I just don't think I could bullshit good enough to do that. Well, you're not, you're not an evil man, my friend. Yeah. Or she genuinely believed what she was saying. So it's, or hear me out. She was telling the truth. Fighting them black Lords. Huh? She's fighting those black Lords. Maybe they were just shadow people. She didn't know. She didn't know how to, uh, she didn't know how to, uh, you know, she wasn't saying it right, but it's just shadow people. That she was fighting, not the Black Lords. Someone needs to write a heavy metal concept album with the Black Lords. Um, we there's, should. There's got to be a metal band called the Black Lords already. Watch this. Probably like we a gotta, 20. We need to remake name this case file Terry Hoffman and the Circle of Death. That's yeah. a good one. Anyways, let's uh, let's wrap this one up. That's this it. It's is, just it's just a cool case. It's like just an insane case of unsolved murder. Death. It's just a really insane cult, like that I'd never heard of. Where no, me either. 
the leader was like, and it's not like she killed everyone all at once, drank the Kool-Aid. Like she was like slowly picking them off. And the other ones didn't even like bat an eye. Yeah, like, they oh, defended she let, her. She left all her stuff to Terry. Like, yeah, that's just that's, so. That's so. That's so nice. That's just. Oh my god. They defended her like she was fucking Jesus Christ. They, yeah. They, you know, they defended her in court. It's like and, bad murder movie plots. Like you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. Why don't you write your life insurance policy and leave everything to me, and you'll be fine after that. No, you're, you're definitely yeah. gonna. That, you're like that dude's definitely gonna die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, Bananas. No. no, don't touch the bananas. Don't, yeah, hepatitis. don't touch the banana peel. You get fucking, uh, what was it? Hepatitis? Yeah, hepatitis. Yeah. Viral hepatitis. Should even let's say get what, into some... Hepatitis A, B, or C. All right, that's it. Let's get Case into some uh, new five-star reviews. Got uh, Hilarious by Paige Van from Australia. You guys are seriously the best. I found your podcast a couple weeks ago and have been binging hard. I've been listening to you guys while driving to and from work each day, and seriously, you guys are so funny. I've even learned some stuff. Only 25 episodes in, and I'm totally hooked. Well done. Thank you, Paige. Uh, Got a quick one by Alia Shmalia from the UK. Mega cool. Thank you, Alia Shmalia. Uh, Let's do... um, That's a really long one. Got a Facebook one here. Okay, do a Facebook one. Jenna Lynn Taylor. ATT is by far the worst podcast out there. Always drunk and claiming all these conspiracies have weight behind them. It's ridiculous. Just kidding. This podcast is hilarious and makes you feel like you're having a great conversation with your friends, even if you don't have any. Come on, Jenna, you got friends. I highly recommend starting with the episode The Curious Case of Alyssa Lamb. After that, you'll be hooked. That is, that is a fan favorite, even though it's one of our very first ones we ever did. No, it's a it's a good one. I think it really sets the tone. Yeah, I think that's good. why it's a good recommendation. I like there. There's case files where we kind of we go into a higher plane of existence, and Elisa Lam was the first one. <laughs> we do we do battle with the <laughs> dark lords. The next level. Do battle with the dark lords. Uh, we got some new Patreon supporters. Uh, thanks to Nick Ruby, Matt, Christian Payne, Matthew Strawberry McDonough. Um, that that was the review. No, no, I was reading uh, new Patreons. Oh, I see. Okay, go for it. Uh, Joe Robinson, Kimberly Renee, um, and I think the rest you guys would have read. No, it's been a while. There's a lot on there. Oh, then uh, keep going. Megan Humphreys, Raquel Olmos, Marlene Ramirez, Yayo, uh, Andrea Pepper, Eric. Stripling, uh, Craigie Parks, uh, Fernando, uh, Finn Ralph, and that's it. Because I now I recognize this other name. So oh. there we go. Uh, yeah. Thanks everyone. It's really uh, really helps the show. It's- if you don't know now, you know we're recording or we're broadcasting these live to Discord, and the only way you get on a Discord is be a Patreon member. Any any tier gets you on gets you on discord and we're prepping for our live video show which we are starting and struggling with but we're going to get it it's coming we're the video we're halfway if you there. liked our early stuff you're going to like our early video stuff because it's going to be much of the same a yeah. headache nothing working and pretty loose and, and live and no edits and you're going to see it all and nothing we can do about it because once 
Once you do a live show, once it once it goes out, there's no editing. It's, that's it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's all good. Uh, well, would you edit the podcast still and have an edited version of the podcast? The podcast then... would be the same, but the video uncut oh, would be and raw. Would be raw. A lot of uhs and mms, as. Yes. Mm. Uh, so if you like that <laughs> yeah get on our patreon um also big news alien con we're going june 21st 22nd 23rd um we have unconfirmed reports that our panel is going to be from 1 to 2 p.m on saturday that'll be saturday june 22nd um we're not sure. I'm not sure where we got that information, but we couldn't find it anywhere. <laughs> someone but, someone uh, sent it to us on Facebook, and they're like, oh, you guys are on at one to two. We're like, oh, cool. No one told us yet. No one told us. But that's that's an awesome time. That's going to be friggin' sweet for us. Uh, hope a lot of you guys can come out, hang out while we do a live pod. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to have some swag to throw into the crowd and uh, air horns and... Confetti, spaghetti, everything. Just yeah, yeah just spaghetti. Just platters of spaghetti, spaghetti at the, spaghetti. At the back. Um, so yeah, we be we've been making the joke we can get fifteen people. So I mean, <laughs> we set the bar. Fifteen people. Fifteen people is all we need, and that's uh that was our goal. You know what's gonna happen if we're at if we're at a one to two p.m. on a Saturday? We're gonna get a bunch of people that have never seen us, and we're, then we're gonna be nervous. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, man! We're gonna get on stage, and it's gonna be we're gonna get on stage, and then we're like, all right, all right, we're gonna have to take five minute break. We're gonna go in the back, do eight shots of fireball, <laughs> come back, <laughs> and then we'll be all right. Um, it's gonna be funny because we're gonna be like, we're gonna have to do like a, a, a little precursor to our show. I'll be like, hey, this is what we do, everyone. <laughs> We talk about this stuff. We're not really, we don't, none of us are. We're not experts, <laughs> not experts. in anything. We just love it all. Yeah. That's going to be just a time. couple wild and crazy guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have though. a good feeling about this. Yeah. I got, be, uh, I got Zell's prolapse of the week. Let's hear it. Keenan Osterberg. I think he's from Sweden. And if you don't know, now you know, we have an Alien Theorist Facebook group, which you can join on our Facebook page, and we accept you. And this guy, if you if you post enough, it gives you something called a rising star. And this guy, Keenan Osterberg, is a rising star. Keeps posting, messaging, commenting, and liking everything. Just an all-around OG prolapser right here. So, Zell's prolapser of the week. Woo! Cool. Uh, anything else? I got huge news. Big news for me oh, and the band. Yes. Bad so, news for the podcast. Bad news. For the, po- <laughs> the podcast is now over. The band is going on tour. Podcast is over. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> the band is going on tour, and we've just released five or four new songs, a five-song EP, but one song has already been released beforehand. And I'm going to play one of them at the end of this episode. It's called Nothing to Lose, which is the title track off the EP. And you, if you're in... We're going across Canada. We're leaving April 25th, Revelstoke, Calgary, Medicine Hat, Winnipeg, Thunder Bay, Ottawa, Peterborough, Oshawa, Toronto, Saskatoon, Lloyd Minister, and Edmonton. If you're anywhere in those cities, go to Lucky These Monkey. These all sound like made-up places. 
most most places in Canada sound made up, but yes. <laughs> There's no American dates because uh well they won't let us across the border. Because you hate America. Yeah, we yeah. Anti America, fucking bunch of idiots down there. <laughs> but <laughs> no, um it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be so much fun. It's my first tour across Canada and I would there's going to be some cities where we're going to have no fans. So come to the show, listen to some music, and then we'll drink some beers and talk about some conspiracies and some aliens because I'm going to have a lot of downtime. I can't wait. It's going to be so fun. But don't worry, the podcast, we're going to record a couple ahead of time, and they're going to pretty much keep coming out as normal. So check us out, luckymonkeymusic.com. Search us on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere you get your music. Lucky Monkey, do it. Even if you hate rock and roll, just, just go search save like you know help us out that's it all right well let's wrap this one up as we always say at the end of these things uh go get your life insurance policy all up to date and keep those eyes on the skies (laughs) bequeath everything to us please Nothing of worrying